All right, welcome back to the Bible class today. We are in the introductory class to the Bible, the introduction to the Bible, and we will be spending a few classes here talking about some things that we need to know and understand as we approach God's Word. Now, just a technical note, our primary medium for putting out this Bible class is sermon audio, and I'm doing my best to go at a slow pace. I'm trying not to, you know, preach uh, or teach 900 words per minute. So I want to be clear, I want to be concise, and I want to be, uh, I want to present a well-digested course of study. Now, in order to defeat the the boredom that might come with a slow-paced teaching course, I wanted to point out to you that the the sermon audio medium that we're using has a speed adjustment. You can turn up the speed. I want to present it at a nice, even pace so that it's easy to understand and it's easy for me to keep my own thought processes in order. But you can turn up the speed on the sermon audio player and you can get through it at a much greater pace and maybe a a more pleasing to the ear uh, presentation that way you can, you're welcome to do that at your own speed as fast or slow as you might want to hear it. So I just wanted to let you know that that feature is available to you there. Now, in the last class, we talked about several different ways in which God, uh, several different methods in which God used to uh, present us with this infallible word. That was the uh, verbal inspiration. God said, to a man to say this, and the man said, Thus saith the Lord, and it was an exact uh, wording of what God wanted to say to a, a man or a nation or whatever the case might be. We gave you those examples. And then you have the historical writings uh, to a greater degree, the, the books of Samuel, the books of the Kings, and the books of the Chronicles. And there's some other historical writings as well. Uh, Esther could be considered a historical writing. Ruth could be considered historical writing. Lots of books could be considered his, historical writings. Even Job and different books like that could be considered to be historical. Then you've got in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the book of Acts. Of course, those are historical accounts of the life of Christ and the ministries of his apostles. And so those, in a great sense, are historical writings. We want to uh, have that in mind. We talked about those to a great degree. You also have the the prophets, which are a combination of verbal and spiritual inspiration. And we talked a great deal about spiritual inspiration and the description of what that is in the last class. And we finished the last class talking about the epistles. And the we said that the epistles were the purest form of spiritual inspiration and we went through Job chapter 32 and talked about that a little while now today we want to talk about the proof for the idea of spiritual inspiration in other words we want to show you the biblical authority that's given to men like Paul and Peter to write the things that God made them understand as a part of the Holy Scripture Now, you and I don't have that ability today, but God did give these men the authority to write down what they understood. And in a great sense, that's what the Bible means when it says that God 
manifested his word through preaching. Of course, that has a broad definition and it has a, a broad scope. But when it says that God manifests his word through preaching, and in a great sense, these epistles are great messages, great sermons to the people in which they were written, to the strangers scattered abroad in some cases. And then in some cases, you read exactly who they're to by name, the Romans or the Ephesians or the Hebrews or whatever the case might be. But these books are written by spiritual inspiration. In other words, God gave the men understanding and the men took that understanding and wrote it down on paper. And when they wrote it down on paper, it became Holy Scripture. They they spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And in that case, they wrote as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. The moving of the Holy Spirit was in giving them understanding. So basically what you're reading in the book in the books that Paul wrote is letters. They're personal letters in which Paul writes and gives different groups of people, Romans, Ephesians, what have you. He gives them instruction. It's right instruction. It's holy instruction. It's true instruction. It's infallible instruction. But it's not verbal inspiration. It's, God is not whispering in Paul's ear saying, uh, write Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. No, he gave Paul the understanding and Paul put the understanding on paper. And that is a, an apostolic uh, inspiration that you and I don't have. You and I can get the same understanding. We can derive the understanding that that uh, the Scripture gives us, but we can't write it in our own words and call it part of the Bible, Holy Scripture. We can't do that, but Paul could. And there is Scripture that tells us that God gave these men the authority to do that. And we'll start in John chapter number 20. John chapter number 20 and verse number 21. Now, if you want to call the Holy Spirit speaking to Paul and teaching Paul, if you want to call that verbal inspiration, then you're perfectly welcome to do that because I'm not going to split hairs to you about that. The voice of the Holy Spirit is God's voice. But the thing I'm trying to point across to you is, is it's it's not uh, a thus saith the Lord situation like uh, like it was when it when God was speaking to to Moses to tell Pharaoh these exact things. And as we go through this uh, little section today and we're talking about God giving these men the authority and we'll see an example of God saying a thing and then how a man takes what God said and explains it uh, in a little bit different light, a little bit different words than the original words that God said. Once I show you that, then I think you'll understand that the Holy Spirit teaching and guiding and developing the mind of, of these men who wrote the Bible uh, produced the finished product of what you see when you sit down you read what Paul had to say or what Peter had to say to where they didn't have to have God whisper in their ear, write Romans chapter 1, Paul. What word next, God? Well, write A next. And then God says, write servant. Right? The next word is servant. God didn't have to do it. God gave them the understanding. They wrote what they understood. Under the moving of the Holy Spirit, under the moving of the Holy Ghost, they wrote what God gave them. They were a witness to what God had taught them and what God had showed them 
was infallible truth. And so that's the difference between spiritual inspiration and verbal inspiration. And so you need to see that, know that, and understand that because you need to understand that what God inspires in you, uh, if it's truth and if it comes from the Word of God and if it produces faith, it is God's Word. And you can truly say, Thy Word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against Thee. You're not taking an actual book and stuffing it in your chest cavity. You're taking the living Scripture. The Bible says the Scripture said to Pharaoh, well, there was no book written that could have been uh, that could have spoke to Pharaoh. The Scripture spoke to Pharaoh through Moses. And so, what you're talking about is you're you're looking at your Bible, and you have to have the confidence that. What the Bible says is what God moved these men to say to you, and it's right and preserved and trustworthy, and that's going to be the overall uh, thrust of this class today that we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the authority that God gave to Paul and Peter and James to write these things to you out of the abundance of the understanding that God gave to them. All right, John chapter 20 in John chapter 20 and verse number, uh, let's start reading in uh, verse number 19. The same day at evening, before the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. So in verse 21, in verse number 21, he says, Then said Jesus unto them, uh, excuse me, Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. Now that's a, that is a great passage of scripture and in this passage and in the passage in Luke that we're going to look at in a few minutes, these are not just statements. These are gigantic. These are enormous statements. Sometimes people take things that are not in the Bible at all and they make something fantastic out of them. And then they take something that's fantastic like this and make nothing out of them. Just like God sent Jesus, he said, I'm sending you. As my Father hath sent me, what a monumental thing that is. Even so, send I you. So Jesus is sending out his apostles with great power and great authority. And then if you want to see uh, a passage like that in the book of Romans, how Paul picks up on that. Excuse me, not the book of Romans, the book of uh, 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. And once I say that, I'm, I'm pretty sure if you're a Bible student already, you know what we're going to talk about in that sense. Second Corinthians chapter 5 and in verse number, verse number uh, 19. Now again, let me remind you what it said in, in John. He said, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. Now in Second Corinthians chapter 5, he says, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, 
as though God did beseech you by us. In other words, God's talking to you by us. It's not directly God into your ear. It's God talking to you by us. God gave us the understanding. We talk to you. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead. So he said, in the book of John, he said, as my father sent me, now I send you. Now you're in Christ's stead. In Christ's stead. Instead of Christ. You are here in this world, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, taught by the Holy Spirit to speak for Christ. And that's what the epistles are doing in a gigantic way. They are men who God gave understanding and now they are preaching to the Corinthians. They're preaching to the Romans. They're preaching to the strangers scattered abroad as you'll read later on in some of the other general epistles. But they're speaking in Christ's stead and the message is be ye reconciled to God. So John chapter 20 verse 21 and 22 says exactly that same thing. As my father hath sent me, even so send I you. And it's a monumental Sending. Now let's look in Luke and see what he says in Luke chapter 24 and verse number 45. He says, well, let's read verse 44. And he said unto them, these are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses, verbal inspiration, and in the prophets, verbal and spiritual inspiration and in the Psalms concerning me devotional these are very devotional and you can you can say devotional inspiration even though I didn't include that but in the book of Psalms there there are things that are they are Psalms they are songs that's coming from the heart of a man but you can see their inspiration by the amount of prophecy prolific prophecy very pointed and in some cases the most marvelous uh, prophecy that there is in the Bible, giving specific things that happened on specific dates. But they were in Psalms, and they were coming from the heart of a man that, that God moved in a way that I think that they didn't have the full understanding of. When, when, when the psalmist wrote, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I don't think there's any possible way that he understood uh, the death on the cross. As a matter of fact, Colossians chapter uh, 1 and 2 tells us that he did not. They, they were blind to those things, but the prophecies was there. And it came from the heart of the man. They were, the heart of David was moved. The heart of the psalmist was moved by the Holy Ghost to write those things. And, and that is definitely a good example of spiritual, uh, uh, of a spiritual inspiration. And so in Luke chapter number 24 and verse number uh, I was reading to you verse 44. He says, He said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the Scripture. So these things were placed, the, this understanding of the Scripture, of course, they have to read the scripture. Of course they have to read the scripture. But the understanding is opened up by God. And that's what the Bible means when it says that the scripture was given by inspiration. This act in verse 45 of opening their understanding is the act of inspiration. It is, the, And the scripture was given to us by inspiration. 
God didn't have to tell them every word to write. God gave them every word to write. He gave it to them in their hearts and minds. Uh, look up in that same passage, Luke chapter 24 and verse number 32. And they said one to another, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scripture? So there's a moving there that moves down into, uh, past the flesh and the joints and the sinew and into the heart. God reaches in and speaks of that uh, part of your existence, that part of your being to your spirit as we read in the last class from the, the book of Job, chapter 38. And so, uh, excuse me, Job 32, 8, uh, where the Spirit of God, there's a spirit in man, and God's Spirit gives us an understanding. And that is exactly what the Bible is saying here. Now, again, I say some people take things that are not in the Bible and make something fantastic out of it. And they take things that are in the Bible and make light of it or, or make nothing of it. And this is a very great... Uh, portion of your scripture here God opening the hearts and minds and the understanding of men so that they could write these things down and, and give us a great understanding give us a great assurance from the scripture and assurance that you and I can have this same uh, way that God opened their hearts and minds to understand the scripture uh, the same scripture that spoke to Pharaoh before there was ever a word written on a page that could be called scripture before the scripture was written the scripture spoke to pharaoh and that's a that's a wonderful thing that same scripture can speak to us through the scripture scripture is written words script it's things that are written down and the bible says that jesus was the word jesus christ is the original there's a great debate in uh, th uh, theological circles today about the originals and the Word of God and the preservation of God's Word. There's always been a debate about that. There's been a debate about that for a long time. But plainly put, the Bible says, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. And then John chapter 1 says, in the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word, the Word is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the original. And so that's a great and a wonderful thing there. The Bible that we have here in our page, uh, here on our page, whether it's uh, something that you could claim uh, wouldn't be true, but you could claim it was an original autograph. Well, that's not the original autograph. That's the first. If you had the original copy on your table, it would be the first copy because Jesus is the original. He is the word. And it's that word that is called scripture that was speaking to Pharaoh. And it's the same, it's the same word that speaks to you when you open Luke chapter 24, Romans chapter 1, or 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The scripture is alive. The, the word of God is quick and it's quick. That means it's alive. It's quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's sharper than any physical tool that you can have because it's spiritually sharp. It's spiritually quick. And so it, this, is a, this is a great thing. When he, when he says, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us, by the way, and while he opened to us the scripture, it was something that reached down into their heart. It was a, it was a scalpel that was sharp. It was sharp in a spiritual sense, not, not a physical sense. Of course, it produced a physical effect, but we won't. Uh, 
go any further into that. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 21, Holy men of God spake as they were moved. And I said that in the last class. That moving is the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now, he get, in these verses that I've read you, he has given them the authority to understand and teach the Scripture. He opened their hearts. He opened their minds and opened their eyes that they could understand the Scripture. Now, for this... Uh, let me give a little bit more of an in-depth uh, instruction just to show you how this um, inspiration works and how it can work and how there is an authority there to take what God says and then take what God meant, the interpretation of the thing, and for the writer to write the things or say the things and it be Scripture. Take what God said, gain an understanding for it, write down the understanding of it, and that be inspired scripture. Now, these men who wrote the word of God had that power. You and I don't have that power. We can't add to the scripture. We can't take what we understand and, you know, make Revelation part two or Colossians part, you know, three or anything like that. We can't do that. We can't write third Corinthians in addition to what we've understood about First and Second Corinthians. We, we don't have the power to do that. But I want you to see this passage of Scripture here because it, it illustrates very well how God uses the writers of the Bible, whether they're Old Testament or New Testament writers, to write the things that God has given us and preserved for us today. Daniel chapter 5, and, and uh, in, in Daniel chapter 5, of course, there's a party going on. Belshazzar is throwing a party, and the hand of God comes and writes... And then they look for a, they look for a man who can understand, and they, Daniel comes in, and, and this will take up in verse number twenty-five. It says, "This is the writing that was written: Mene, Mene, Tekel, Eupharson." And so, this is the verse uh, number twenty-six. This is the interpretation of the thing. Notice he doesn't say this is the translation of the thing. The Bible. Uh, only deals with translation when it's dealing with people. God hath translated us. God translates me. God translated Enoch. And God will translate me at some point in time. God will translate you. And that translation is from the vile body to a glorious body, like unto his body. The translation is a, is a changing of men, not a changing between languages. Now, I do understand that that there is an importance of translating languages. I understand that. But what's more important and what God emphasizes is not translation. The word translation is not in your Bible in the sense of translating languages, only translating people. But what God uses when he's dealing with his word is he deals with the interpretation of the matter. And so when you're talking about the words of Romans chapter 1 and verse 1 or 1 Corinthians 1 verse 1 or 1 Corinthians 12 1 having to match excuse me let me say it like this Romans 1 1 in English having to be the exact same uh, wording and the exact same uh, sentence construction as Romans 1 1 in the Greek that's ridiculous because that wouldn't even make any sense that would not make sense uh, from the sense of grammar it wouldn't make sense from the from the sense of how a man speaks you know on the street the word vulgar is used vulgar doesn't mean bad it just means the way people speak at a street level but at any rate it's imperfect 
form of a language. Vulgar is an imperfect form of a language. Let me be clear about that. But what you have here, I want you to understand, is that God wrote with his own finger. You can't get more original than that, can you? Mene, and then he wrote the same word again, mene, and then the word tekel, and then the word eupharsin. And God wrote that with his own finger. And then Daniel comes in and says, this is the translation. No, he says, this is the interpretation. He doesn't say translation. He says interpretation. I say that for effect. This is the interpretation. God's not concerned. Belshazzar's not concerned. Daniel's not concerned with the translation. He's concerned with the interpretation. And you should be concerned with the interpretation because as you go through your Bible, anytime it's dealing with language, anytime it's dealing with getting the understanding of the Scripture or the words being said or anything like that, the Bible always deals with interpretation. This is what was said and this is what it means. And the meaning of it, deriving the meaning of it, is God moving and inspiring. And Daniel says, this is the interpretation of the thing. Mene. It's one word. But look at the interpretation. God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Eight words in the interpretation. God only wrote Mene. The original was Mene. That's all God said. Daniel looked at it. He saw the word. He saw the situation. He saw the party. He saw the foolishness that was going on. And God gave him the understanding of what he meant by the single word Mene. It was an eight-word translation. It is not word for word. It is not the word Mene means numbered. And Daniel looks at the word numbered. He could have turned around and said, well, that means numbered. And it would have meant nothing to anybody. It would mean nothing to you today. But he turns around and says, this is the interpretation of the thing. Mene, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Well, where's the word finished? Where's the word it in mene? Mene doesn't mean it. So what he does is he takes this thing and and. What he does, he takes the word and he sees what God means by it and he relates it. Tekel, thou art weighed in the balances and found wanting. Well, where's the word thou in tekel? Tekel doesn't mean thou, but Daniel takes God's original. He sees it. He sees what it is. He sees how it's applied. He sees the condition he, of his surroundings. He sees what's going on and he takes the word tekel and he interprets it as what God means. It's spiritual inspiration. It, it's taken an original and it's explaining what God intended, the interpretation. Interpretation. He's showing what God intended by what he said. Mene, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Tekel, thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. Ten words for one word. Perez, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Eleven words for one words. Perez does not mean kingdom. It does not mean Persians. It does not mean Medes. It does not mean given. Perez has its own meaning, meaning but Daniel took one word and made eleven words out of it, and it's God's holy word infallible 
then commanded Belshazzar, and they clothed Daniel with scarlet and put a chain of gold about his neck, so forth and so on. But look at, what it, look at this also. Mene, mene, tekel, eupharsin. Daniel changed eupharsin to Perez. In the modern day uh, scholarly arguments about the King James Bible and all these things, they'll say, well, this word really should have been um, translated this way because this is the dative and this is the locative and this is... Well, Daniel doesn't seem to care about the form of the word. What God wrote with his finger was euphorson. And for the situation, Daniel changes euphorson to Perez and then gives, Thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Eleven words out of a word that he changed in order to give the sense of it and make it real to Belshazzar who did not understand what that stuff meant. So when you're talking about spiritual in, in, when you're talking about spiritual inspiration, you're talking about God's will for his word. What God wills it to mean, got what what God wants it to mean, you have to trust that God has preserved it just like that even though you can take a King James Bible that was written in 1611 and you can go back and find some scrap of paper that was written in uh, 200 A.D. And they may not imagine that because they're two different languages, talking to two different people who understood things two different ways by a language that was sculpted over the years to where words mean this or words mean that, depending upon what context they're used in. And how is God going to preserve? He preserves that through a holy inspired interpretation of his word which is what which is what Daniel was looking at on the plaster of the king's palace and that's what I'm looking at when I look at God's word right here on the paper you're not talking about something that can be worked out in a college classroom it's something that's worked out in the hearts of Daniel and Elijah and Elisha and Jeremiah and Matthew and Mark and Paul and James and soaked in ink into the pages for all time and for all history, preserved perfectly, and you can soak that ink up into your mind and have God's Word and Scripture hidden in your heart. Thy word have I hidden my heart that I might not sin against thee. It's that inspiration that's going to interpret it for you. It's going to direct you. It's going to give you the meaning of it. And there's no way that you can take a verse of Scripture and take a, a padlock and lock it down to any one specific thing. It, you look at the context, you look at the words, you look at the sentence construct, you look at the dictionary and find out what the, what the words mean. You look at the context of it and you say, God, help me to understand this. And God takes the scripture off the page and puts it in your mind and in your heart, just like he did when he breathed on the disciples and said, uh, that here, I'm opening the scripture to you now so that you can understand what's being said and they did that for Paul and Paul wrote it down he did that for Peter Peter wrote it down he did that for James James wrote it down he did it for John John wrote it down and we still have it today it's a different language it's a different time period but it's God's word it's the same word that was uh, that was uh, right there present in Genesis 1-1 in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth in the beginning was the word and the word was with God well, there you go.
the Word was God, right? So we're talking about spiritual inspiration. The inspiration. God gives us the understanding. So that's a great illustration. This, this uh, method of interpretation here found in Daniel chapter 5, again, is an underappreciated but very enormous indication of how God works and moves in the mind of men. God, holy men of old spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. This is a great example of how God moves in the hearts and minds of these men to give us the Holy Scriptures that we have today. And so the Bible never has anything to say about translation. The Bible has a lot to say about interpretation. And I said that to say this, interpretation has everything to do with the Bible being given by inspiration. That term is such a great term. The Bible was given by inspiration. Such a great, such a great uh, use of that terminology. All right, we're going to stop right there. We're at 30, about 38 minutes, so now we better stop right there. We'll pick up in the next class right there.